Good morning, Element Church, and welcome to week two of our series, Summer Stories. You know, we do this series every July, uh, where we invite people in our church to come and share stories of uh, God's faithfulness, share stories of how God has been at work in their heart and their lives, uh, to share stories of ways in which they've seen God uh, do things that, that they didn't even think were possible. And as we share these stories and we reflect on, on the ways in which God has been at work in other people's lives, it often causes us to reflect on how God has been at work in our lives. You know, when somebody tells a story, it often leads us to thinking about our own story. Uh, when somebody shares a part of their life, it often leads us to thinking about parts of our own life. Um, and as we start this morning, and before we get into the, sh the story that we're gonna share today, uh, I just wanna start our time off with a little bit of a, of a reflection question. Uh, and my question for you this morning as we get started is this. Do you ever find yourself doing things in your life that you don't want to do? I mean, do you ever stop and just look at your life and think, uh, man, th this isn't exactly what I had planned? Do you ever stop and think, man, this is not how I want things to go? Do you ever stop and look and just go, man, why do I keep doing this no matter how many times I promised myself I would stop? Or, or do you ever stop and think and go, man, I, I keep telling myself or I keep telling others or I keep making promises to family or friends or someone who's supposed to hold me accountable that, that I'm going to start doing this. And even though I really want to, I, you know, a few days, a few weeks I go by and then I'm, I'm find myself going back into old habits and, and not doing the things that I want to do. And what, regardless of what you call them, whether they're um, goals or ideas or objectives or resolutions, I think we can all recognize in our life that sometimes we have these great desires, but we don't always have the follow through. Or sometimes that we know of something we should be doing or something we shouldn't be doing in it. It just seems that we can't quite get our actions to match up with our mind and our heart. Maybe for you, when you look at your life, it's kind of big picture and you go, you know, when I started in this career field, you know, when I went to college to study this, you know, when I, I got married and, I, and we started a family, you know, we, we had ideas or I had dreams of where I would be and man, I'm nowhere near that today. I'm, I'm, I'm not where I thought I would be. Or maybe for you, it's a smaller scale. Maybe you uh, look at your life and you're like, man, I would love to be in better shape and to lose weight. And no matter how many times you've started the process, you look and you're like, yeah, but I, I just go back into old habits. And I think whether it's big picture or just in a smaller area of life, we've all dealt with that. And we're gonna start our time this morning by looking at a story in scripture um, where somebody just kind of makes a confession in which they struggle with the same thing. And I think we can all take a lot of comfort in this because the individual we're gonna read from today is really one of the heroes, hallmark leaders, uh, the MVP of the Christian faith. Um, if you were to think about the New Testament and someone who's had, aside from Jesus, the most impact um, on Christianity and in Christian thinking and action, it would be Paul, uh, the guy who started so many churches, the, the guy whose life was radically transformed when he met Jesus, the guy who wrote two thirds of the documents that we have in the New Testament. And even Paul experienced this reality in his own life. And so we're gonna start by looking at Romans chapter seven, and we're gonna look at verse 15 together. And here's what Paul says as he reflects on his life. He says this, 
for I do not understand my own actions. I think we've probably all been there before. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, for some of us, we can resonate with that. We, we can all resonate with that, at least at some level and at some time in our lives. Now, let me put into broader context what Paul is talking about, and then we're going to look at the rest of his sort of confession as he kind of verbally processes what he's dealing with in his life. Now, Paul has earlier in this chapter been kind of talking about um, the struggle in life between God's rules, what he says is the law, Primarily, Paul's referring to the Old Testament law, uh, where God reveals his standards for people and of, of righteousness and, and how to live. And, and so he says, I, I look at what the law points me towards, and I want to go there, but, but I just can't get there. I keep, I keep finding sin as this powerful force in my life that holds me back. You know, the law shows me what's good, but I keep choosing what's bad. You know, the law points me towards life, but unfortunately, the law can't give me life. And no matter how hard I try, things don't always work out the way I wanted to. And so Paul is wrestling with this, both this external reality of you have the law that's good, um, but, but his inability to, to get there and, and how sin seems to, to, to always cause problems. And then he's also kind of speaking from a personal perspective of this internal wrestling that he's going with, uh, going on in his heart. And so he, he says, man, uh, I don't even understand my own actions sometimes because there's things that I don't want to do and I do them. There's things I want to do and I, I don't do them. And, and, and so I want to look at as his argument as he kind of keeps this idea going for a few minutes. So we'll start, we'll pick back up in verse 15 where we just read and then we'll kind of read the, the continuation of his argument. So verse 15, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Now, here's what Paul is saying. Listen, essentially what he's saying is, listen, if I see hypocrisy in my own life, then what I can't do is I can't blame other things. So he says, when I want to do good, but I don't do it, when I see hypocrisy in myself, you know, it'd be easy to look at the law and say, oh man, there's something wrong with it. You know, it's, it's not good enough. It, it, it points me to life, but it doesn't give life. You know, it, it shows me what's good, but it doesn't produce good in me. So there must be something wrong with the law. There must be something wrong with, with what I know that I should be doing. And, and Paul says, but, but if the, the hypocrisy, if the inconsistency is in me, then I, I can't rightly be pointing my fingers at the law or, or at any rules or standards and, and say that they're the problem. And then verse 17, he says, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Here Paul is acknowledging that um, you've got on one hand God's standards and, and that are pointing us to life and goodness and, and what is right. But, but Paul recognized that there's this force at work. That there's this force at work in me and in my life that's holding me back. That, that is a part of who I am that I'm trying to overcome. And, and, and so it's not just as easy as saying, well, do better or try harder. Because it's not from a lack of desire or willingness or attempts. But that there's this force at work that's holding me back. 
Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul here isn't trying to abdicate personal responsibility as though he's like, well, it's not my fault. It's, it's sin's fault. He's recognizing that, that the sinful nature of, of who we are is a part of us. Um, and, and so he's not trying to abdicate responsibility to be like, well, it's not my fault. It's sin's fault. He's just recognizing the power that sin has in his life. Now, in this conversation, Paul is kind of covering two realities. In one level, he's talking about his pre-Christian life or the life that anybody who doesn't believe and follow Jesus experiences, that there's this power of sin that overtakes us that we do not have the ability to overcome on our own, that we're held captive or as, as he would say in other places in scripture, that we're enslaved to the power of sin. And so he's talking about how no matter how much you wanna do good, you can't be good enough on your own. That sin is so powerful that unless an outside force comes in, you can't pursue good, you can't be good, you can't uh, have true life if it's only left up to you because sin is too powerful. But on the same token, uh, Paul is, is kind of like talking about the other side of the same coin in saying that that was true before Jesus, but the reality is that we still carry that battle in to our lives for those of us who believe in Jesus now. That, that what Jesus did on the cross won the victory. Jesus defeated the power of sin and death. And so while ultimate victory has already been secured, you and I are still in the middle of the battle. And so he's wrestling with both, this is what was true of me before, but this is a battle I still face even though I believe and trust in Jesus now. And so let's keep going. Uh, let's pick it back up in verse 21. He says this, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And, and what he's saying here is like, listen, you know what? Like take the example of losing weight. You know, like you say, hey, I want to eat healthy. Um, I want to exercise. I want to get in shape and lose weight and be healthy and all these things. And then on the flip side, I want to stop eating sweets and dessert and drinking so much alcohol and being lazy and whatever else causes us to be unhealthy and gain weight. And, and he's, he's essentially kind of calling out like, listen, when you don't care about being healthy, none of those things are temptations because you just don't care. But it's the moment that you make that commitment, that decision that, hey, I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to stop doing certain things. I'm going to start doing other things that all these things rise up and become really strong temptations. And he's saying like the moment I commit myself to doing good and I want to do right, that's when evil kind of rears its head. It was always there. Just wasn't ever temptation because I wasn't trying to do the right thing. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God and God's standards for what he has created me for, who he created me to be. In my inner being, I delight in that law of God. But I see, verse 23, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And Paul just kind of cries out in this moment of desperation, just looking at the struggle in his own life and going, man, there's so many things I want to do. I don't do. There's so many things that I don't want to do that I find myself doing. Like, where is their hope? Now, Paul is writing this as a believer in Jesus. And so he's about to answer the question. 
right? Who will deliver me from this body of death, he asks. Now, Paul knows the answer, even though he's wrestling with a battle in his own life. Um, And I think you and I can probably relate to that a lot. Uh, A lot of you watching today, you you might actually say, listen, I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus defeated the power of sin and death on the cross, that by placing my faith and trust in him, by following him, uh, that that he gives me strength and life to to overcome these things, that, that Jesus has won the victory. But we experience a real battle in our lives of sometimes just looking at our lives and going, man, this isn't how I planned it. I want to do better. I want to start these things. I want to stop these things. And Paul kind of cries out, man, who's going to save me? But the beautiful thing is that even in the midst of the battle, Paul knows the answer. And in the first part of verse 25, he gives it to us. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, he's calling out on the one who, as he talked about in chapters four and five, the one who has delivered Christians once and for all from sin and death, and as he talks about here, who will deliver them day by day, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, Now we're gonna turn our attention to a story that someone in our church wants to share today. Uh, A story of some desperation they felt, but the hope in which Jesus uh, revealed himself in the midst of their struggle uh, that they dealt with and and were battling through in life. And uh, we're gonna hear about their struggle and their victory And then we're going to see what Paul also has to share with us about it as well. Hi, my name is Amanda Villarreal. I've been going to Element Church for about two and a half years now. So uh, a lot of you know me, but uh, some of you may not. But um, when Adam asked for people to share their summer stories, There was one story in particular that God kept bringing to the forefront of my mind, Um, even though it's not necessarily the story that I would like to tell, and it's the story that I feel like He wants me to tell. So um, with that, (laughs) I always feel, I, I have always felt like I'm the girl who was never wanted. I grew up in a family that constantly told me um, I was either too much or not enough. I was too loud, I was too pushy, too opinionated, had too much energy, or I wasn't good enough, or I wasn't smart enough, or I wasn't nice enough, you know, wasn't tolerant enough. I mean, there there was always something about me that was wrong. And quite possibly the hardest part about growing up like that was that I grew up in a family that claimed to be Christian. So, I grew up internalizing a lot of that and thinking that that was how God felt about me too. So, I keep saying so. (laughs) Um, I carried a lot of that pain and a lot of that constant feeling of rejection into my adult life. And I always wondered why I wasn't good enough and why I wasn't worth the redemption and the grace and the mercy that I kept hearing about, that I still believed in. I was a teenager, actually, when I finally accepted Christ and experienced that salvation, but still 
still struggled with feeling like God didn't actually love me and didn't actually value me because I wasn't wanted. He began to redeem me from that pain and from all of those lies that have pursued me when I met my husband, Nicholas. When he proposed, <laughs> I remember feeling like I could finally leave it all behind because I was chosen. He chose me to be his wife and he loved me and he valued me. And I thought that that would be the turning point. And unfortunately, I still carried that pain into my marriage and that feeling of rejection and made a married life a lot harder than it had to be for the first couple of years. But the real beautiful thing is where God actually wanted to redeem me from the pain was through my children. And I don't talk about it a lot because I know a lot of people personally who have struggled with infertility and miscarriages and, and, and loss. But I struggle with the other side of the same coin where I can get pregnant incredibly easily and I got pregnant twice when I didn't want to. Those pregnancies were very hard to deal with emotionally and physically and spiritually because it felt like another example of God telling me that he didn't love me and that that what I wanted didn't matter. And so the girl who was never wanted had two girls who, at least at first, were not wanted. He used this to speak to my heart in a very intimate way. Where when I look at those girls now and I love them more than my own life, I feel him telling me where you came from and who you were originally is not what is really important. Whether or not you feel like you're wanted, whether or not your family wanted you, I want you and I love you just the way that you want and love those two little girls now. And so he's still working on my heart when it comes to this, but I finally feel like I am seeing a glimpse of that redemption that I kept hearing about, that I wanted for my whole life. And no matter who didn't want me before, at the end of the day, there is no one those girls want more than Mama. was what God put on my heart to share as my summer story was um, was this small glimpse of, of redemption and love that a lifetime of pain can still be overcome.
and that even if we don't start off with a loving family, we, we can still end up with one. You know what Amanda just shared with us is just a very authentic, raw, real picture uh, of a struggle that in many ways all of us go through, even though the circumstances change. But it's a struggle of, of battling what other people tell us, what we tell ourselves with what God tells us. And as we saw earlier with Paul's struggle, he dealt with many of the same ideas, even though the circumstances were different of just struggling with what he wanted to do and what he knew what was right, yet what he felt and experienced on the inside. And just as we saw Paul ask that desperate question, who will save me, wretched man that I am? And then he said, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks be to God that Jesus has stepped in in the midst of my struggle and in the midst of the battle to provide hope, to provide truth, to provide encouragement. And as we take Paul's argument, we, we, we just continue to look at it. We were in chapter seven of Romans. Now we're gonna be in chapter eight. And the very first verse of Romans chapter eight, Paul says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And remember earlier in chapter seven, how he was talking about the law. And he talked about how there was this, the, the God's law that pointed him towards goodness and what was right, but that he couldn't get there. And then that there was like this law of sin that, that ruled in his life. Now Paul's going to introduce us to a new law. And he says in verse two, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh for an order uh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He said, there's a new law the law of God's spirit, which sets us free from that oppressive, enslaving law of sin and death. And then he says in verse three, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Remember when Paul was talking about this battle of knowing what was right, but not being able to get there? See, the law could point to what God's standard was for people, but there was this power of sin that holds us back from ever getting there. And Paul's saying, listen, no amount of hard work, no amount of discipline and diligence and type A personality will ever get you to the place that God designed you to be. So God stepped in and, and did what we could not do. And then here at the end, he says that he makes this available for those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Paul begins to talk about how it's the life in the spirit that gives us that power to overcome the power of sin and to walk into who God has created us to be and what he has created us to do. You know, Amanda shared with us that condemnation that Paul even says here is, is no longer on those who are in Christ. The condemnation she felt from others, from labels, from unwanted feelings put on her by others 
by her situation and even at times by herself and her own thoughts. But then God used this relationship of a parent and child to help speak truth and grace and love in Amanda's life by saying, listen, the way you love those children, even if you don't feel it, you need to know that that's how I love you. And what's really cool is in the same argument that Paul has been making uh, for the last two chapters, carrying on this idea of there's this new law in the spirit for those who are walking in the spirit, that you're going to experience a freedom. Paul's going to carry this idea of what it means to walk in the spirit to another place. And, and so we jump down to verse 14 in Romans chapter eight. And he says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That the beautiful thing of this story is that no matter where we find ourselves in the midst of this battle of trying to do better, trying to do right, trying to overcome the power of sin in our lives, that God steps in and does for us what we could not do for ourselves. And that for those who experience the Spirit of God through their faith and trust and obedience to Jesus, that Spirit now becomes sort of our seal, our marker, that we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. You know, the Bible loves to use the parent metaphor and analogy um, to help us understand how we relate to God. That's why so many times in the, in the Bible, God is referred to as Father, because it paints a picture for us of unconditional love. And so that even when we don't feel it, even when other people tell us we're not, either when labels are put on us or even our own mind tries to tell us otherwise, that God tells us through his spirit that, hey, you are mine, that you are my son or daughter, and that you don't have to carry the weight of doing it all on your own because you're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not disciplined enough. You're never going to save yourself. You'll never do all right. You'll never do all good, but you don't have to because God, as a loving father, steps in and says, I'll do for you what you can't do for yourself. And as a part of that, through the spirit, I'll call you my son. I'll call you my daughter. And so wherever you find yourself today in that struggle, in that struggle of knowing what to do, but not being able to do it, knowing what you shouldn't do, but having a hard time avoiding it. It's not about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and working harder and being better. The Bible certainly calls us to be better, but it's learning to rely on the power of the spirit to overcome the power of sin in our lives. And when we feel those moments of desperation wash over us, and we say, who, who could ever save me, this wretched person that I am, who can't ever get anything right, we can with confidence cry out, just like Paul did, that thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord who has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so even in the midst of struggle and desperation, we can celebrate 
that you and I are sons and daughters of our heavenly Father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity that we have to come. Um, and Lord, I think there's an aspect that we just recognize the struggle that we deal with internally as we struggle to do what is right. And I just celebrate that you have done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And I just ask you to spend a few moments with your eyes closed, wherever you are at home, uh, you may be riding in your car or on a, on a run. So if you're in a car and on a run, don't close your eyes. But, but I want to give you a moment just to reflect and to think and to allow God to speak to you right now in this moment to let you know that you don't have to carry the weight on your own. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to even fix yourself before you come to God to earn his love, to be good enough. Because it's just what we saw today that God did what we could not do on our own. So that he could bring us in and, and remove the, the, the spirit of slavery in our lives, slavery to that power of sin, and instead replace it with the spirit of adoption. That we can be called sons and daughters of God. And so this is your invitation to make that a reality in your life, to come to God with open arms, open hands and say, God, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. I can't fix my life. Would you step in and do what I can't do? This is a moment for you to place your faith and your trust and your allegiance into the hands of Jesus, the one who did for you what you couldn't do, who on the cross defeated sin and death so that we could be who God created us to be and do what God designed us to do. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would make that a reality in our lives, that we would release the pressure to be perfect and good enough and to earn your love and salvation and accept the gift that you're giving. Accept what Jesus did on the cross and that we can in the midst of struggle, declare thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We praise in your name.